Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. What is going on, everyone? And welcome back to the channel and welcome to episode five in the Kevin in a Big Rig saga. Things are really hotting up at this point. If you haven't caught the previous four episodes, of course, go and watch them first. Episode five here, part of a big series of stories about this one mental Kevin who for some reason has found himself in charge of a very large truck. When we've seen over the past four episodes, he is probably one of the worst drivers I've ever heard about. If you haven't yet caught up and you're not sure what's going on, links are down below. Go and listen and watch that first. But yeah, if you remember back to the end of last episode, things were looking pretty, pretty dangerous. OP and Kevin's truck had just been sent in for repair after Kevin almost killed them both, sending them off a cliff on their journey. It was actually pretty scary to read how close OP and Kevin both came to, well, death, sadly. But they survived, thankfully. Anyway, without further ado, make sure you are subscribed with notifications on so you get notified when I post every installment of this one. If you're on a podcast platform, make sure you are followed. Here we go. This is episode five. Kevin in a big rig part seven, Flashpoint. Backstory. These events take place over the span of a couple of days immediately following the events in part six, Breakdown. The three-day breakdown had forced Dispatch to call in another truck to rescue the load. I figured as much, since the load was considered high priority, and with an even more serious winter storm than what we faced in Nebraska bearing down on us, Dispatch wanted to get the load to its destination as soon as possible. That left myself, Kevin, a repaired truck, an empty trailer, and precious little time before we become stranded again by Old Man Winter. Almost as soon as we got the truck out of the shop from Kevin's fiasco on Snoqualmie, Dispatch sent us a load. It was to pick up in Lewiston, Idaho, that same evening and deliver in Chicago. I was relieved as this put us heading away from the storm, and with luck, it would keep us ahead of it. When I plotted the route, however, I was abruptly reminded that while the patron saint of truckers might protect those who call upon him, he also has a very morbid sense of humor. Lewiston is a mountain town along the Washington-Idaho border. From where we began, it would take the better part of a day traveling through remote areas with little chance of assistance if something were to happen. And because I hadn't suffered enough, the only way into Lewiston was south along US-95 and down another steep mountain grade. That was worse than Snoqualmie. How bad? Well, if Snoqualmie was a black diamond ski slope, Lewiston would be a triple black diamond skull and crossbones level requiring a signed waiver of liability and clearance from a psychiatrist. And just for kicks, Kevin would be driving us there. Upon realizing this, I texted my mum, told her I loved her, and that I was probably going to be dead in the next few hours. She thought I was drunk. For the first few hours, I stayed in the bunk trying to get what little sleep I could. Kevin's horrendous driving did not help matters, as I was constantly being woken up by my head being slammed into a cabinet by his excessive braking. I finally had to use my jacket as a makeshift cushion and keep my head from suffering a concussion. The truck drove on and on and on. Sleep, when it came, was fitful and fleeting. 
The jarring of the brakes and the whine of the over-revving engine foretold of an impending fate so terrifying as to make Edgar Allan Poe wet the bed and Stephen King buy a nightlight. As the sky grew dark and the cold air began to bite, I decided I'd slept as much as I could. I pulled on my boots and I went up front. I looked out of the windshield and saw what I had been dreading, the warning sign for the steep drop into Lewiston. The highway on which we made the descent was also the town's main thoroughfare. Fall off the cliff, roll into the town. Any loss of control here, and a lot of people besides us would more than likely be killed. I just hoped that if I did die that night, it was quick and painless, and Kevin would join me so I could beat his butt for all eternity. Kevin started down the grade, picking up speed too fast at first, but thanks to being empty, speed control was much easier. Still adamantly opposed to engine brakes, he maintained his speed through downshifting and heavy braking, much like he'd attempted to do on Snoqualmie. When he finally managed to stabilize his speed, I lit a cigarette, because I think all people doomed to die deserve one last smoke. But it wasn't my last smoke, or my last day on earth. Despite everything, Kevin managed to get the truck down the mountain and into the town without it ending in a fiery crash. I let out a breath that I didn't realize I was holding and take a long drag of my cigarette to calm my nerves. We were safe for the time being. Kevin manages to get us to the pickup, after getting lost of course, and we change out while we're being loaded. I sit down in the driver's seat and program the route into my GPS. Getting back to the interstate was going to be tougher, I saw, as it was more remote wilderness, mountainous terrain, and little chance of help in an emergency. Adding to the difficulty was the fact that the storm we were desperately trying to outrun was catching up to us. Fortunately, it wasn't long before we get fully loaded and head to a local truck stop to top off the tanks since it was nearly 150 miles to the nearest truck stop. I refuel the truck while Kevin goes inside the store. After several minutes, both fuel tanks filled and Kevin is still inside doing God knows what, I pull the truck out of the fuel pumps and pull around to the parking area. I dash inside, grab some food, drinks and smokes and come back to the truck to find that Kevin still isn't back yet. I begin to fantasize about what's keeping him. A stroke? A brain aneurysm? Abducted by aliens? They do tend to take the dumbest people after all. But alas, the hope was fleeting as I soon see him hobbling his way across the parking lot towards the truck, carrying a plastic bag, looking like a hobo about to ask for a dollar. Kevin opens the passenger door and climbs inside. Hey, mother effer, he yelled angrily. Why'd you move the truck? I point at the all trucks proceed to parking when fueling complete signs hanging near the diesel pumps. Because I can read, you idiot, I reply. You know I have a bad leg. It hurts to walk that far. Do that again and I'll kick your butt, he threatens weakly. Now, if you recall in part two, I mentioned that I was at least one foot taller and 100 pounds heavier than Kevin. So his threat was more comical than menacing. Oh, really? I reply. You wouldn't lift a foot above my knees before I rip that gimp leg off and beat you to death with it. Sit the frick down and shut up. Wow. Uh, that's well, pretty fiery there from OP, I've got to say. He mumbled something, but I didn't hear him as I released the brakes and pull out of the parking lot. The climb up the mountain was slow and painstaking. Snow was just starting to fall, but it wasn't yet heavy enough to be a serious concern. Kevin, riding shotgun, was grumbling about his leg, the cold, and whatever else he felt like complaining about. I get to the top of the hill and press on, trying like heck to stay in front of the storm. Kevin remained up front, though he had moved past griping and onto bragging about his future plans. 
Apparently, he had high aspirations for his trucking career. In a few months, he was going to become a lead driver, the title the company gave to driver trainers, and work his students like racial slur. His words, not mine. Odd. He also planned on becoming an independent contractor by leasing a truck through the company and making a lot more money. This would also allow him to run a little side business with his nephew, who, according to Kevin, was some major player in a prison chapter of the Aryan Brotherhood. He claimed his nephew could set him up running contraband out of Mexico. I paid very little attention to him as I'm more concerned about the winter storm that's almost on top of us. We start going down a hill. Nothing serious, but enough that I take my foot off the accelerator. I never trust cruise control in a semi. This causes the engine brakes to engage. And on cue, Kevin takes it personally. If you were my student, he said, trying to sound pretentious, I'd fail you for that. What the frick ever, man? At least I can go five minutes without getting lost, I reply, not missing a beat. Don't use those things on my truck, he demands. I'm not, you idiot, I shoot back. This is the company truck, remember? Just then, we start down another hill. This one a bit longer, but not overly steep. Again, I release the accelerator and the engine brakes re-engage. This was apparently the last straw for Kevin. He reaches down, unbuckles his seatbelt, and reaches over towards the steering wheel. The activation button for the engine brakes is on the right side of the steering wheel. I see his hand and I slap it away. Cut it out, you idiot, I tell him. He tries again, but this time getting out of the seat and towering over me while reaching for the engine brake button. This is extremely dangerous. As it's dark, we're on a narrow road and visibility is reduced because of the snow. I don't have the luxury of handling this diplomatically, so I grab him by the shirt with my right hand and literally throw him back into the passenger seat hard enough that his head bounces off the window. If you ever pull a stunt like that again, I tell him, I will break every bone in your body and leave you to the buzzards. You're not a lead driver and this is not your truck. Sit down, buckle up and shut up. Kevin obviously hadn't expected that reaction. Apparently, he was living in a fantasy universe where he was the trainer and I was the student. I suppose that knock to the head was enough to bring him back to reality, or as close as he could get, since he buckled his seatbelt and went about copying the company route to his precious notebook. A couple of hours pass in silence. The snow begins to fall heavier and accumulate on the ground and stick to the road. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The wind had begun to pick up and was rocking the truck side to side. It felt like an eternity since we'd seen the last town, car, or even abandoned building. I just started to begin thinking that maybe we hadn't survived the downgrade into Lewiston and this was my own personal hell. When, far in the distance, I see the lights of a town. I check the GPS and sure enough, it's exactly where we are to rejoin Interstate 90. I was less excited about being on the interstate as I was about the prospect of finding shelter from the approaching storm. As we make our way through the town, I keep my eyes peeled for a truck stop, Walmart, gas station, anything that might offer a safe harbor for the night. But to my increasing dismay, 
nothing. To make matters worse, the town appeared to be deserted. Even the 24-hour convenience stores were dark and empty. Suddenly, a few miles before reaching the interchange, a message comes across the computer. Kevin takes the computer and reads it. It's a weather alert, he says. It says we have to shut down. Of course, I say, still looking for somewhere to park and finding nothing. Keep an eye out for a truck parking spot. We get closer to the interstate and find nothing. Even the gas stations with truck diesel lanes are clearly posted. No truck parking. My only alternative is to get back on the interstate and keep going until I find somewhere to shut down. I'll admit this is the last thing I wanted to do, but my hands were tied. Kevin, however, simply could not understand the situation. Why are you getting on the interstate? He asked. Safety told us to shut down. Yeah, but there's nowhere to shut down, I reply. You have to stop, he insists. Safety will write you up. Where? On the side of the city highway? You really think that's a good idea? Looking back, I now see how ironic this question was. Kevin gave up. Apparently, being thrown bodily against the window one-handed takes away your nerve. Well, if safety says anything, it's on you, he says. I'm fine with that, and I'll tell them the same thing I'm telling you. You can't just stop in the middle of the freaking road. I take the on-ramp to Interstate 90 eastbound. I keep my speed at about 45 miles an hour. Since knowing we shouldn't be out here according to safety, I can at least use the fact that I was driving at a greatly reduced speed to say, yeah, I know I should be shut down, but there's nowhere to shut down, so I have to keep going until I find a place to shut down. I plod along Interstate 90 through the Idaho panhandle and find nowhere to park. The truck computer is going crazy dinging every few minutes with messages wanting to know why we are traveling through a shutdown area. I can't send any replies since I'm driving, and Kevin is content to let me deal with it. I drive well into Montana before I see Salvation, a truck safety rest area. It's little more than a super wide shoulder on the side of the highway, but it's reasonably safe, legal for us to use, and more importantly, it has enough room for us to get into. I guide the truck into a parking spot, shut off the headlights, and pick up the computer. I put myself off duty and go about responding to the messages. All but one are automated messages about the shutdown notice and the fact that we're operating in one. The one non-automated message is from the night dispatcher. You are operating inside of a shutdown area. Please shut down as soon as possible, the message asked. What the heck did you think I was planning, you idiot, I say to the screen. I reply, could not find safe and legal parking spot when alert received, was forced to continue on until a safe and legal parking area could be found. We are now shut down. I intentionally used the word safe and legal in my reply because according to the company's own driver handbook, a truck that receives a weather shutdown notice must find a safe and legal place to shut down until the notice is lifted. That was their only policy verbatim. I was just following it, safe and legal. I decided to go back to the bunk and sleep. It was pretty obvious we were going nowhere until morning at least. The next morning, I'm awakened by the sound of the truck brakes releasing. I jump out of my bunk and check the computer. Safety had released the shutdown and implemented a 45 mile per hour limit for the area. Kevin took it upon himself to take the first shift, so I crawled back into bunk. A couple of hours later, I'm woken up by my phone ringing. I check it unknown number but the area code matches the company headquarters so i answer hello hi is this op driver id 9876 replied the voice uh yeah this is ken from safety this call is being recorded we had a report that you willfully violated a mandatory shutdown area 
last night. Son of a female dog. Kevin tried to turn me into safety after the stunt he pulled with the engine brakes. Well, Ken, I reply. I suppose that depends on your definition of violated. Did you continue to drive after receiving a notice of the shutdown? Yes, I answer truthfully. Can you explain why? Well, Ken, if you refer to the company driver handbook, such and such page, such and such paragraph, you will clearly see that it states, and I quote, Upon receiving a shutdown alert, the driver must park the truck as soon as it is safe and legal to do so. End quote. Now, as I told the night dispatcher, I was not in an area that provided safe and legal parking, and therefore, I was forced to continue on until safe and legal parking could be found. However, I was well aware of the dangerous road and weather conditions and elected to proceed at a speed no faster than 45 miles an hour and I shut down at the nearest safe and legal place available. For a few moments, Ken was quiet, but I heard the telltale tapping of a computer keyboard through the phone. I see. Well, looking at your routes, I see that there was very little in the way of parking or facilities. No shit, Sherlock, I think to myself. That was my assessment of the situation as well, I confirm. Well, he continued, we received this report from an anonymous phone call and we had to follow it up. Anonymous, my butt. Am I being written up for this? I ask. Not at this time, since, as you say, you were trying to get to a safe legal parking area. We may look into this matter further at a later time. However, I would like to stress that you take care in the future. I managed to hide my rage as I responded, always do, thanks, and I hang up. For a few moments, I stared at the bunk ceiling in furious disbelief. Anonymous phone call? Yeah, that was BS, since there was only one person who knew I'd driven at that time who would have made a phone call. Kevin, the rat fink idiot, had tried to grasp me up on the sly. Only, he made one critical mistake. He underestimated me. I knew the safety policy, apparently better than the safety department themselves, and I'd probably save my job and career by doing so. No doubt the little idiot thought he won by his little butt-kissing exhibition, and he would no doubt try again when he realized it didn't work. But he wouldn't get that chance. Oh no. Run game on me, little man, and I'll show you how it's played. I open my phone's email app and go to the saved email draft I've been preparing for so long. I attach the photos of the computer logs, double check for missing issues, add in about the incident where he tried to grab the steering wheel while I was driving, and plug in the email addresses of the relevant department heads. I also make one addition to the end of the email, letting them know that, seeing as how the issue was habitual and ongoing, I would continue to provide daily updates via email on Kevin's infractions and unsafe actions. Why email, you wonder? Well, in the eyes of the law, an email is considered an official document. By using email, I could use it as proof that I communicated the issue to the company. If the situation progressed to the point where legal action became necessary, the emails could be used as evidence that the company was made aware of the issue, but did nothing. That's negligence. I knew it, and they should know it too, I thought. Well, they claim to put safety first, so let's see. I give the email a final once over. It's ready, I think. I move my thumb up to the send icon and freeze. For a moment, a tiny voice of doubt pipes up. Is this the right thing to do? You could put yourself in the firing line with this. Even if you pull it off, it could ruin Kevin's life. Is what he did so bad to really be worth that? For a moment, I almost consider not going through with it. Just ask for a new co-driver and... That thought was interrupted by my forehead banging off the cabinet again. K, 
Kevin and his awful driving. Never mind, I tell myself decisively, screw this jerk. And I hit send. There was the slightest bit of regret when I saw the status of the email change from sending to sense. Oh well, too late now, no turning back. The missiles were in the air, nothing left to do but wait. So there we go. That is going to do it for episode five. We're up to part seven now. Just two more parts to go. Two more episodes to go. But wow, what a roller coaster it's been. Things are heating up now. Finally. I mean, I demanded it at the end of last episode, but now finally, OP has sent that email. Again, I don't really blame OP for, for taking this long to actually do something. I feel like the emotions that you were feeling, OP, when you were kind of deliberating whether or not to actually press send make a lot of sense and are the reasons why me myself was kind of wondering you know is this really the right thing to do yes you could get fired yes you could obviously cost kevin his job and obviously that will have ramifications for his own personal life especially with all the things that he's been through but yeah the fact is he's a terrible driver and he shouldn't be on the road i mean that alone is enough for you to send that email. So yeah, I'm glad you ended up doing that. I will say though, knowing, well, what I know now about this company that you work for and the fact that they don't really seem that diligent, especially with their drivers and they don't really have much care for for safety, despite what's happened in, in part seven here, episode five. I am very interested to see what happens next, whether Kevin actually does get fired, whether you get backlash. I mean, who knows? We're gonna have to wait and see for the next one. But yeah, very interested to see what the response is. Anyway, guys, that is going to do it for episode five. Episode six coming tomorrow. Make sure you are subscribed or you follow me with notifications on so you do not miss it. If you are here after the day this is published, then episode six might already be live. You might be in luck. If so, it will be on the screen right there if you're on YouTube or linked down below if you're on a podcast platform. With that being said, see you guys tomorrow for episode six. I am looking forward to it. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.